a podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. This is Mana. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mana, podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. I'm your host, Jeff Peterson. Now, none of the guys that you're going to meet on this podcast would consider themselves to be extraordinary, but it's their humble, holy way of living exactly what makes them extra to me, and I am excited for you to meet them. Now, MANA is uh, thankfully and kind of amazingly listened to uh, actually all over the world, believe it or not, and so I apologize if what I'm about to say here skews more kind of North American or maybe just American, Uh, but I think we as a people are largely um, a transactional bunch, and what I mean by that is that, you know, when you think of the things that we do, there's usually a payoff or a return of some sorts for anything that we choose to do. And most times it's the return uh, that inspires the investment, you know, if you think about ROI. Uh, so, for example, we go to college, you know, not necessarily just to open our minds. Uh, we go to get a job, you know, or, and, then, and then we work hard at our jobs not because it's just good to work hard, but you know, we work hard to get promoted, you know, et cetera. And, 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 and I'm not complaining about this because sometimes, you know, transactional, uh, the transactional orientation is, can be good for others, you know? So for example, we might move, you know, into a different school district for a better education for our kids, or we might volunteer on a mission trip to build houses in communities that need them. So, you know, the give and the get isn't always bad. You know, it's not a bad approach. Uh, but in all those examples, there's a tangible get for the give. You know, you can point to it or you can see it or you just, you just get it like you actually get the get. Well, I met today's guest through a program in which he is investing some tangible gives, okay, his time, his money, his effort for a get that doesn't relate to a degree, not going to relate to a job, it's not going to, you know, necessarily give him a specific set of skills or certification that he can brag about at, you know, cocktail parties. Um, nor will the get likely even be fully realized in this lifetime. How heavy is that? I mean, at a stage and an age in his life when most guys would be spending their free time, I don't know, playing golf or cards, you know, today's guest is spending the next two years as a student in something called a catechetical institute, it's very fancy sounding, uh, which is basically a masterclass into the details of the catechism of the Catholic Church, just to learn more about the catechism, cover to cover. And as I said, it's not going to make him, you know, qualified, you know, in a certain way to serve because he already does serve. For example, he's already, you know, on the parish council at his church. Um, you know, it's not going to de facto make him any better of a husband or a dad than he already is. Uh, which we'll hear about today. Um, And it's not going to make him any more loved by God because his heart, not his mind, has already taken care of that. But that's what makes his intellectual investment, I think, so extraordinary. In a world of tangible gives and gets, he is giving in preparation for a get that is yet to be determined. It's like a a get-yet TBD. And I'm excited for us to meet him today to learn more about him, and uh, I'm guessing to be even more inspired by him. So please welcome today's Man Up Man, Mr. Michael Bush. Hey, Mike. How you doing, Jeff? 
It is great to have you here and, uh, and great to uh, just learn a little bit more about you. you know, as I said, we met uh, a few weeks back and uh, it's just been great to get, uh, to get a chance uh, to know you. So, so um, uh, I, I want to kind of paint a picture here of where we are because this Catechetical Institute is actually going to shake down in this building that we're in in, in, in less than an hour. And so we're here kind of pregame. Uh, having this conversation. And so let's maybe start, you know, with, uh, we'll, we'll talk about your childhood, all that kind of stuff, but let's maybe talk about what led you at this stage in your life to take on, you know, as I said in the intro, this is not like just some light little Bible study. I mean, this is kind of a, this is kind of an intense thing. So what, what led you to this, this institute at this stage in life? I think it started probably about three, three years ago when I joined the council uh, here at church. And I found through the introduction of the people in the council that there was very few of us that in the council that were actually uh, cradle Christians. A lot of them were from RCIA. And in other groups that I've been involved with in the parish here, uh, I found that to be there also. And mm. being a Catholic all my life, you know, I did not realize that. I thought being a cradle Catholic myself that most people were born into the Catholic religion and, and either stayed there or, of course, went somewhere else to yeah. satisfy their faith needs. Uh, but during that time, I found that the people that were uh, basically from the RCIA seemed to have a stronger faith than I had and a stronger understanding of what was going on. And so I felt in the past few years that I needed to expand myself and my faith by learning more about our religion. I probably did because I went to a parochial grade school and, mm-hmm. and some parochial high school. That was many, many years yeah. ago. <laughs> and so now uh, being retired and, uh, and such and, and lived a full life doing many things, I just think it's more uh, advantageous for me now to, to learn more about me through God. Yeah, that's cool. So growing up, church and faith was uh, sounds like a big part of your life, going to a parochial school. What was it like? Did you grow up around here or where did you grow up? I grew up in a little town in the southwestern Wisconsin on a dairy farm. Okay. And so my uh, family was uh, very religious as far as making sure that we went to church, we went to religion class, and of course went to Catholic schools. Uh, I don't ever remember missing a mass. Uh, I remember distinctly since an hour in Lent that Lent was very important for us and we mm. stuck to the rules. And back then, of course, the rules were much different than they are yeah, now yeah. and much more rigid. But we did stick to those rules. Yeah. And uh, if we couldn't make it to a later mass, we got up early on a Sunday and went to 5.30 mass and then did chores after that. So yeah. uh, that was kind of my upbringing uh, yeah. back then yeah who are some guys when you were growing up if you think back younger like who were some um, kind of role models maybe not necessarily in the church but just kind of of sort of the kind of the moral kind of good life you know whether they were teachers or coaches or family who are some guys that you remember being influential at that age I think my dad was the biggest one, yeah. just for the simple fact is that uh, he was a very good farmer. Uh, he bought a farm during the Depression and uh, made it work and paid off the farm in a very ra- rapid time wow. uh, on land that was questionable at the time, but developed the land and made it good. Plus, uh, uh, he thought religion was very important. That uh, and Again, we always went to church. Uh, he made sure that we were always prepared for what was going on during Lent and other, uh, like Advent and Christmas and such. And uh, he also was on this parish council and, and helped design and build the parish church that is now in my community. Mm-hmm. What is it about, because when you talk about, you know, being, <clears throat> you know, on this council or in other groups with, with uh, folks that have gone through like RCA, you know, so that was me, you know, about, uh, gosh, 
20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. And so I'm, I'm the stereotype of what you're describing where just like, I'm, I was just completely lit up and just like into it and all this kind of stuff. And my wife, Betsy grew up in the faith and would also remark of like, gosh, dang it, you know more than I do, you know? And I, you know, and she had like a 30 year head start on me. <laughs> what do you think it is about, um, about growing up you know, in the faith, it, you know, is it, is it, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but is it a matter of, it's almost like it's so familiar. It's all you, it's all you ever knew that some of the things now that you're being reintroduced to as an adult that are so enriching and interesting. And, and you know, do you think it's just that it's almost like the familiarity of it for so long, you just kind of like, you never really thought about it because it was just it was just the essence of living and, and now it does kind of take, you know, th this, you know, sort of deliberate kind of reinvestigation of it to, to, to kind of like spark it, you know? Well, I think part of it uh, is because you're so young and so you're hearing yeah. all this and you, 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 you basically bring it in and inhale it, so to speak, and start living it to a certain extent. But uh, you don't really understand a lot. You know, you know, through 13, 14 years old, yeah. uh, you, you live through it, you go through confirmation and you, 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 I think, understand what is expected of you sometimes. <laughs> you really don't understand it all fully. <laughs> and as you get older and through my working life, you know, it's kind of a blur, you know, you, you work yeah. and, and you get things done and you go to the cabin and you do these other things. And religion is always kind of on the back burner with doing a lot of things besides making sure you go to church and, and uh, observe Lent and, and, and other holy days and stuff. And so I've always done that, but it's the other things that uh, uh, you just kind of leave on the wayside. And I guess now that I'm retired, I'm starting to think about those things yeah. and want to reinvest some time to get a better understanding of what I probably learned when I was younger, but sure. either forgot or didn't apply it properly. Yeah. If you could, um, and I don't know if you're still close to some of the, you know, people, the guys that you went to school with years ago, but if they could see you now, you know, all these many years later, would they be surprised that you're, that you're so active? Cause you're very active in this parish. You're very dialed in, you know, to your faith and stuff. I mean, or, or was this was this the young Mike also? Was young Mike churchy and into it? Or would they be like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Like he's uh, <laughs> not sure where this came from, but nice to see it. Well, <clears throat> going up growing up in a parochial grade school and stuff, we always had mass before we started school. Yeah. And I was always the one to turn around and shush the guy behind me. <laughs> that was talking when he shouldn't be talking. So, uh, you know, they may be somewhat surprised, I suppose, but uh, not, not that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think, you know, and we've talked a little bit like this, but, you know, we've talked um, about, you know, how do you get more adults uh, in this day and age? Not necessarily Catholics. I mean, I, I would contend all, you know, and we've talked about, all, uh, you know, all adults. And it's such a busy time. It's such a, whether you're raising kids or working and, and even when you're retired, I mean, retirement can be really busy. How do you, what, and I know you do this as part of the parish council, like how, how do you, how do you, how do we better light adults up? about their faith, you know, get into areas of, you know, evangelization and, and, and knowing, you know, and, and good catechesis. Like what, what do you think the, like, what do you think the, the, the biggest opportunities are for adults? Is it just awareness and kind of opportunities to get engaged or, or what, what do you think? 
Well, that's a good question. I think that's what one thing the council is really troubled with right now at this point, because of course, since COVID, you know, we've lost a lot of people coming to church on Sundays. We've lost, you know, a lot of revenue. Uh, We lost a lot of volunteers, uh, as you probably heard in in mass uh, this weekend. We really we have less than half the electors we should have, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's very difficult to get people involved. Um, It's you know, they've had, we've had, but since COVID, we've had so many people just basically uh, sit down and say, well, you know, I made it okay during that. You know, I don't really need to do it again. Yeah. But, the, but the thing is, is that if they do it, I think they find themselves, at least in my perspective of it, and what I find is joy. Mm-hmm. And so you do something for someone else, and it brings me joy. I remember when I was uh, part of the, the Justice and Service Commission of the parish, we had a Lenten service night, and I mentioned this in one of our classes. And I would always stand up before that night after Mass and basically tell the people, you know, this is not suffering. This is not pain. This is enjoying the people around you doing something for somebody else who needs it. And yeah. we are helping and doing God's work and helping the people who need the things that we are doing for them. Yeah. And that's what I think people need to realize is that, uh, you know, you get a special feeling in your heart and mind when you do something good for somebody else. Yeah, and yeah. you don't find that very often uh, in, in doing going to work or whatever else. You know, you find going to work and you're a good salesperson, you win the sales award, that's fine. But you don't feel that inner light in yourself until you do something for somebody else that are really in need. Yeah. Well, and, and, and doing it also knowing that you can come out of those you know, darker periods or more dormant periods. So the COVID was definitely one for a lot of people that, you know, was a challenge to stay engaged. But, you know, as all, as every everybody goes through life, you know, you kind of go through the peaks and troughs of faith. You know, you go through college and maybe going to churches and like the most like frontal lobe kind of a thing. When you think of your arc, your arcs in life, did you have, were there periods for you where, I mean, because obviously this is now, you know, I don't know if it's a peak, 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 but it's definitely a, a, it's a very engaging time for you and your faith. When you look back on, on, on your life, did you go through kind of like peaks and valleys where not that God was ever not there, but where you just felt like, yeah, you know, maybe not as dialed in as, you know, you are today? Or were there other times in your life where you really did feel like, okay, you know, so whether it was marriage or whatever, you know, like were there, what were kind of some of the high and low points along the way? There's been a lot of low points, uh, which I think is everybody's life. Uh, you've got situations that happen with your life that goes mm-hmm. on that uh, get you depressed, yeah. and uh, you forget to look at the person that can really help you, which is our Lord Jesus. And it's, it's really difficult uh, sometimes to bring yourself out of that. And so there have been a lot of times, but I have not totally turned my back, but I maybe turned to the side uh, to, mm-hmm. to Jesus uh, during my lifetime and kind of just let things slide uh, when I basically, in retrospect, should have done something more about it and, uh, and, and, and used his words and wisdom and, and fellowship. Uh, and as one of our priests said here in a homily, um, he spoke to his friend Jesus. And when he said that, my wife and I kind of looked at each other at Mass and said, I've never heard it that way before. Mm-hmm. My friend Jesus Yes, he is my friend, and I should be talking to him as such. And, uh, you know, I always remember that from that, that priest that said that, and uh, it, it, that'll never leave me, and I've been trying to live up with speaking to him on a daily basis, not necessarily in a, in a formative prayer. Uh, it might be something that I just, you know, make up myself or just, you know, feel and uh, just daydream about something with him in mind. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of one of the first <clears throat> times we met, and you were sharing a story, um, that was 
not necessarily as conspicuous as like literally talking to Jesus, but, but doing something for someone and, and how you had, um, it was when your wife was going through some health challenges and you had, you know, basically orchestrated, uh, um, uh, the, the right of, um, uh, um, the anointing, anoint, an, an, an anointing, right? So I can't say it, anointing, uh, kind of right. And just how that process and going through that also, even though you weren't receiving it, you weren't receiving the right, you were, you were coordinating the right. But I remember how you said it so beautifully, how just the act of putting that together, you know, and, and scheduling it and getting it sort of executed, you know, for your wife was also a moment for you, you know, almost as powerful as if you would have been receiving the, the sacrament itself. Well, at that time, she was in the emergency room and there was three doctors and about 12 other people and a social worker walked in. And I knew as soon as the social worker walked in that this was very serious and mm-hmm. I knew she was ill. And so the first thing I asked her for is, I think we need a priest. And I, I did that for the simple fact that it's because I love my wife. And I want her to have all the advantageous of, of the Lord Jesus. And, and if she would have passed that day, that she would have been accepted in God's arms right yeah. away. And so that's why I basically asked for the priest to come to give her absolution in the last rites. And that uh, even though she was really unaware of what was going on, uh, it was something that I thought was necessary to make me feel better mm-hmm. about her eternal life. And uh, so that's where it gave me the gladness of it is because I could be doing something for her to help her in the afterlife. Yeah, it reminds me of when, when Betsy and I got married, our priest, and um, not during the, the, the mass, uh, um, but in preparation. He, I remember one of our little sessions, he said, he said, all right, here's the deal. As, as a married person, your job, he looked at me, he said, your job, Jeff, is to help Betsy get in heaven. And he looked up and he said, no, and your job is to help him get into heaven. <laughs> and that's big job. That's, that's what you were doing there that day. And it's just such a great, such a great example and just great story. I love it so much. Well, that's just, I think, what marriage has to be. It has to be not only a partnership to, to live out your life, but to, to enhance the other person's life, uh, both here and in afterlife, actually. So, uh, you know, I attribute my wife and that uh, for a lot of success I've had, both in my personal life and family life, uh, because she's been there and support, supportive of me. And so I think I need to be there and support her also. Amen. That's why they call it a vocation. That's it. All right. Well, hey, we are already at the, uh, the fun segment of the show here. <laughs> See, here we go, uh, where we ask the same three questions. Yep. I've been uh, waiting for it. <laughs> Uh, we should have like some theme music or something here. So fun segment, same three questions of every guest. Uh, and so fun segment question number one. And listeners, just so you know, Mike has a little post-it note with some with some jottings on it. So we're going to see what this is. Oh, it's just to remind me of what <laughs> All right, fun segment question number one. If Jesus knocked on your door tomorrow morning and just wanted to hang out for the day, what are you going to do with Jesus? I've been thinking about that question. And, you know, Jesus basically thought a lot of the poor and the uh, vulnerable. And in Matthew, it basically, you know, talks about the last judgment. And he says, put the needs of the poor and the vulnerable first. And I think that's very important. So the first thing I think we need to do uh, with Jesus is I would take him down to feed my starving children. Mm -hmm. And we would package meals and we would talk to the people that are down there and find out their stories, why they're there uh, and and, and what they're doing and how they understand the good they're giving for the people and the young children throughout the world that are eating these meals. 
Then in the afternoon, we'd go down to uh, Loaves and Fishes at Holy Rosary, and we would package meals for that. And again, talk to the five or six volunteers that are there, and then help distribute those meals in the late afternoon. And then finally, at the evening, we'd take it to Simpson House, and we'd make meals for the 150 people down there, yeah. and, 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 and not only make the meals and that stuff, but uh, basically get integrated into, into, into it with them, and basically talk with them and find out their stories, because there are some pretty sad stories there. Uh, and it's you know, it's something that is, is difficult for us living in a pretty affluent area and middle class and that yeah. stuff to see people who are really suffering that really have no opportunity to get out of it. And so to hear this story and to have Jesus with me and that to bring faith and, and love and understanding, uh, I think is very important. And also would open the eyes of the other volunteers to say, you know, this is really important because that man's here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love all those examples. And I've been to those places a lot of times through uh, like like work functions, you know, like a, like like a corporate kind of volunteer day, and and they'll organize, you know, and you'll go to feed my starving children and and pack meals, and a lot of times people don't even connect the dot that okay, this is the work of Jesus, mm-hmm. like you're doing, you know, this is exactly what we're called for, and so I love I love that what you're saying is let's bring Jesus there, so people just in case, just because they're all, it's great that they're there, so thank God they're there doing at all, but. Gosh, if they could see Jesus right there, they'd be like, oh, <laughs> you know. They realize they're walking in his shoes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I love that so much. That's great. All right, fun something question number two. If you could go to church with any other guy, living or dead, famous or not, who are you going to church with? The person I'm choosing uh, has been on the news a lot since last week because he's put himself in hospice, and that's Jimmy Carter. Mm. Jimmy Carter is a man that I really respect a lot because he's lived his Christian life throughout his life. Uh, he was probably, in my personal opinion, probably the, the, the most honest and religious and caring president we've ever had. Yeah. Uh, he did things before his presidency, during his presidency, and now after his presidency that has brought religion to the forefront, helping the poor and the vulnerable, as I mentioned before, and, and bringing to that effect. And so I think he'd be a great person to bring to church with him for me to have the opportunity to learn even more how to be more humble and serve the people. Yeah, so cool. And so cool that after his presidency, he was probably, I mean, known for a lot of things, Habitat for Humanity, all the, but also as a Sunday school teacher. Like you, any, any news story that I ever talked about Jimmy Carter would invariably talk about how he still taught Sunday school. Yes, <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> Ninety years old and he's still teaching yeah. a little toddler. Oh, yeah. just loved it. All right, last question. Uh, fun segment question number three. If you could give just one piece of advice to a younger man, teen, let's say, uh, about living a uh, humble, holy, confident life of faith, what would that one piece of advice be? Be there. Mm. Be there. Join a church of your choice, Mm. no matter if it's Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, uh, a Jewish community, Muslim community, but be there and participate because through the participation, uh, it's going to give you back what what God wants to give you. And that's the joy of life and the joy of being with people. Uh, Just going to a service like a mass or uh, whatever, it, it, it does satisfy the letter of the law but it doesn't extend that letter of the law. And so being there means basically you, you do things to make it better for you and for the people around you. I love it. Be there. That's a, t- that's a t-shirt in the making. Yep. I love that. That's so great. Oh, Mike Bush. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate your story and, and you sharing it with, uh, with everybody here on Mana. It's, uh, it's been great to get to know you and I can't wait for, uh, to get to know you even better. 
Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to MANA. If you have any questions or recommendations for future guests, send them to manapodcast at gmail.com.